0: Before we jump in, I want to thank my friends over at Samaritan's Purse for sponsoring today's episode. Every year, Samaritan's Purse puts together a project called Operation Christmas Child where they give away millions of shoebox gifts to children in need around the world. It's the largest Christmas project of its kind. They've given away over 198 million gift boxes in 170 countries since 1993. Absolutely incredible. What I love about Operation Christmas Child is that they aren't just giving away shoe boxes to children in need, but instead they're using those boxes, those gifts as a way to build relationships with local families, to share the gospel and to make disciples millions of people around the world have heard the gospel as a result of receiving a shoebox. Operation Christmas Child is a great way for you as a dad to live on mission, to point your family back to Jesus, to serve together. It's super easy to get involved. You go to samaritanspurse.org forward slash OCC. Again, that's samaritanspurse.org forward slash OCC. You can learn about how to put a shoebox together. You can do this with your small group or your neighborhood, but I highly suggest that you get your family involved. Because of the size of this enormous project, boxes must be turned in by November 21st so they can be shipped off around the world. If you decide to do this, which I highly recommend that you do, you need to get started today by going to samaritanspurse.org forward slash OCC. Again, that's samaritanspurse.org forward slash OCC. Chris, what's crazy, man, is that we have been in many ways working together for months now since this summer. Which, by the way, for any of you who are just now tuning in, if you have not heard our original interview, our very first interview together, Chris shared a story. It was so powerful. Go back and listen to that one. But since then, we've been hanging out and working together. You've done tons of Dad Tired Podcasts, but we have not done one together. So it's it's, This is really nice. This is nice. Today, you texted me the other day and you said, hey, we should do a podcast on parenting styles. Yeah. And I said, well, what I thought was, um, <laughs> I thought like everyone's parenting style is like, just survive. Like that's the right. style like, that we all kind of assume. <laughs> my style is to try to make it to bed without sinning so bad. I lose my salvation. That's yeah. My style. Yeah. But you informed me that there, like, there are parenting styles. Yeah. So
1: I'd love to dive into that. I get this question a lot, I think. And I remember talking to a policeman that went to my church a while back and I asked him, how come so many people get away with crimes? It seems like. And he, like, watched the video, like, you're not, you don't seem like super smart, but you still get away with the crime. And he said, you'll never believe what you can accomplish if you have a strategy going in and someone else doesn't. And so he just said, like, they have a plan. They've got a plan. It might be a dumb plan, but they at least have a plan. And a lot of these people who own convenience stores or whatever or home break ins, they, they don't have a plan to execute. I feel like for me and even my, for my late wife, so much of our conversations, revolved around what's our strategy what are we going to do like (laughs) the first time your kid just like straight out defies you you kind of look at each other like okay what do we do yeah and it feels like you import i'm sure like it's it's this way for you and layla a little bit like you you import so much of the way that you were raised or the discipline that you underwent or didn't undergo or like if your parents screamed then it's like your knee-jerk reaction is to yell and if your parents were, did more corporal punishment like spanking then you're more likely to go that route or if they were kind of like whatever shut up then you're kind of more that route so and specifically i think right now there's there's kind of this wave that's moving at least in southern california which we're a little bit you know like we are from the future for yeah. a lot of the rest of the country because what we yeah. do kind of then moves across and i don't think it's always the best thing but it just is the way it is of like the idea of gentle parenting or unparenting which basically puts a whole different spin on the parenting conversation entirely. So I really kind of wanted to ask you, I'll kind of walk through these four main ideas of parenting styles and then just talk to you through like, hey, what what works best for you? And what do you see as potential pitfalls for some of these things? And not that you and I are any kind of gurus whatsoever, but again, sometimes just having a strategy is better than a lot of us who are just like throwing disciplinary noodles at the wall and seeing what sticks,
0: you know? (laughs) Totally. I remember, dude, when I, sorry to interrupt you on that, I just remember when I, before we had kids, I think Layla was pregnant and I said something like, I feel so stupid even saying this now out loud, like, because I know all of our audience, are parents or at least most of them are, but I remember saying something like, I'm just going to stick it. Like whatever we say we're going to do, we're going to do Like I'm sticking with it. Like if we're driving down to, at this time, we lived in Oregon. I'm like, if we're driving down to California, go to Disneyland, and our kids acting up and I give them a count of three and they don't do it. I'm turning around like I'm just I'm. we're going to do it. You know, I got to be firm. Yeah. And I'm like, that just is so ridiculous for me now. Like, I love the thought of thinking I would do that, you know, but oh, if yeah. I'm, I've driven seven hours and my kids aren't listening, the chances of me actually turning around are probably pretty thin. I'm, I'm like negotiating and I'm, you know, I'm going to take away the gummy, whatever the thing is. But yeah, all that to say everything I thought was a strategy before I had kids has completely changed. Yeah, bro.
1: It was like dealing with high school students when I was a youth pastor and they're like, I'm going to triple major because I'm really interested in psychology and theater and dance. And I'm like, no, you're not. And they're like, no, I really am. I think I'm going to. And so you sit from this perspective where you go, I've been through it now. And like, that's not, you can say whatever you want to say, but when when rubber meets the road, that's where I think, like, I think, tell me if I'm wrong, parenting feels like it's more of a blueprint than it is like a, or sorry, more of a game plan than it is like a blueprint you've got a general idea of how you're going (laughs) to attack the defense in a football game, but you can't really go like so systematic where it's if this and that, if this and that, because like every kid is different. I don't even think that every parenting style works perfectly for every kid. And so that's why it just gets like so tricky. And like, you've got kids, you've got a lot of kids, right? I've got five kids. And it's like, what do you do in order to make that work? So I'll talk through these a little bit and you give me a response to these. Yeah, let's hit them. They kind of this grid, like psychology today, and they have this grid where, in like the upper left-hand corner, it's like the lowest amount of control and the lowest amount of like demand on someone, and that seems to be what they're kind of breaking it down to: how much control, how much warmth, and how much demand are you asking for when you when you're doing your parenting style? So, like the first one is um like permissive; it's called the permissive category, yeah. and so this is this tends to kind of like put the child in in the position of being the boss. You want to avoid confrontation, right? Like if this were to sound like something, it would be like, whatever. Kids are kids. Very few rules, non-directive. And this is a big one, low expectations, right? Like that's what like kids are kids. We really don't expect them to do anything other than what kids do. We don't really have any high standards for them. It's very lenient, very accepting. And obviously that can become indulgent. And so this is kind of like, like least amount of expectation, least amount of demand
0: and what, what would be the heart? Like, why would somebody parent in that way? Like, what would they be trying to accomplish?
1: I think it's probably their more be? of a response to maybe like an authoritarian style that you were raised in. Mm. So I think it probably either derives just from a sense of like sloth or laziness, or it's a response to being always told what to do all the time and having a, an overprotective parent. So I think that's kind of what it is, or or wanting to appear chill, or being so. Afraid, this is probably a, a real one. Being so afraid of your kid rebelling that they can't rebel against your non-parenting, right? Interesting. Yeah. I'm not going to hurt you because I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to mess you up because I'm just going to be sitting here as if that's not a decision that we're making. Interesting. Also, so it's funny too. Like the the Bible like has a lot to say about parenting, and that would probably be my biggest pushback for this one. And I wouldn't expect that this is the category that you and Layla are in especially because you asked, why would anyone do that? <laughs> but it seems like Jesus ties so often in the book of Proverbs, in the New Testament, in First John, like the, the connection between love and discipline, even specifically right, yeah. with like parents. Like he says, no one likes being disciplined, but when they get older, they always come back and thank you for having done it. Because they get to, you build on the fundamental principles that your parents taught you, and you find yourself being the one that's not late for work and not saying the really inappropriate thing. And you understand social settings and you don't even know why you've borrowed this from the way that you're parented. The things that are egregious to you are egregious to you because your parents told them they were egregious. And so that's, I feel like that permissive style is just kind of, it feels like for the Christian, it probably borders on, I'm not sure that we're even, that would be God honoring at all because I would never want my kid to not perceive, to perceive me as not being loving because I'm not being disciplined. Does that make sense?
0: Yep. Totally. Yeah. I'm trying to think, I don't think I know anyone in this category that like close to me. I may have come across somebody, but I don't think I have anyone in my close network that I've seen just be totally like,
1: and the funny thing is, I think what you're saying is true is like, that's probably because you don't want to hang out with their kids.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Like,
1: (laughs) there's probably people in my life, historically speaking, or maybe I'm that for someone else where it's like, it's such a pill to be around your kids or, you know, they're destroying my house or they're whatever that like you kind of go like, I wonder if they become a little bit more like monastic, you know, like in their own cave by themselves because they, they don't really know how to relate to people. And again, without boundaries, kids, I don't think want to hang out with other kids that don't have boundaries, right? There's a protection mm. involved in that. So it's interesting, actually. Of- as
0: you say that, I've met someone recently where I was asking him some questions about becoming a father and how that shaped him and his thinking. Like, what how what changed? And his answers were really fascinating to me because he didn't really say anything of value. <laughs> <laughs> and my my takeaway he was just like, kept talking. Yeah, well, he just like it's <laughs> not that he I needed him or even was expecting him to say something profound. But for most of us, when we become a parent. It changes us in right. in pretty profound ways, even if we can't articulate it. And so, I guess what I'm saying is, my takeaway from his response was, "Oh, that's just kind of another like random part of my life." And like, you know, I have a job, and I have a kid, and I have like I'm in fantasy football. Like, it's just a thing. Yeah. Yeah. There is no strategy. That was my takeaway. Now I'm totally judging, right? Because I I didn't spend enough time with him. I didn't, I never. I've never seen him with his child. But I guess I have maybe seen that attitude even recently. Of like, yeah,
1: no, was- well, I was watching the, um, the Astros game the other night, the Astros and Phillies game. And it was Justin Verlander was pitching. And the guy's like 39 years old, or something like that right now. And he's probably going to win the Cy Young. And he attributed a big part of his comeback and his play because he's playing better than he's ever played before. And he said, I wasn't a dad before. So he had a Tommy John surgery. Mm-hmm. And so he was out for like two years or something like that and came back and he's throwing better than he's ever thrown. And he says, I listen better than I ever have before. I'm more disciplined than I've ever been before. I'm more patient than I've ever been before. So parenting radically rocked him. I think that's what like Romans 5, 3 through 5 says. We rejoice in our suffering for our suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character ultimately, ultimately gives us hope. But I, I think you can have kids and not let it affect you. I think if you take this style where you're non-responsive, non-demanding, you don't really empathize with how your kids are doing. Are you just kind of non-responsive to it? I think then some of those promises that scripture talks about, right? The suffering that you undergo produces that perseverance and that perseverance turns into character. But if you mm. just pull out, if you just withhold, yeah. then I think those promises are lost on you then it's like, well, that's mm. not going to actually transform you. But for the majority of fathers that are listening to this, we all, it's like our BCAD changeover. A big part of it was when we got married and then another big part of it when we had kids mm. and it's like the most refining, sanctifying thing you can go through is to realize how selfish you are, which kids yeah. I think help you understand, and then challenge you every day to get off your butt and to lay down the idea that you deserve X, Y, and Z to like serve your family even when you feel like you're out serving them. Like that's, I feel like that's so big in it. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yep. What are the other ones? So is that one called? What is that permissive. one? Yeah, it's permissive. Yeah, permissive. That's the, that's the category. Yeah. Okay. And Top I'm stealing this
1: from psychology today. Okay. Kind of the opposite of that is is authoritarian. So the two ways... There's two styles that sound very similar, authoritative and authoritarian. This one's authoritarian. Authoritarian is the lowest amount of warmth and the highest amount of demand. So this is kind of like drill instructor parenting. And this, I think it tends to be where you get kids that are at least at first blush, the most obedient or kind of Germanic in their expression, like very, eins Einzwein, you know? This is like the Von Trapp kids. Like you blow a whistle, they all line up. <laughs> and then whatever her name is, Freudine Maria comes in and presents a different parenting style, but very little warmth, very high expectations, very structured environments, very autocratic, right? Like what I say goes because I said so is really important. So there's no real conversation or pushback that's permitted. I don't mean backtalk, I mean pushback. High, strong punishment, but a lot of the punishment is as a result of embarrassment or anger. So you embarrassed me. Because this is the way we act and you didn't act that way. A little emotionally distant, very clear and concise rules, but power over everything is most important. And so Mm -hmm. this one's probably easier to find someone in your life who's like that. Maybe maybe your parents were like that or whatever, but I was just really interesting to read about that and to read the mindset of authoritarian parents who were defending their case and talking about how their kids feel so safe because they operate inside such structure with such clear demands on them.
0: I don't know. What do you mm. think about that? Yeah. I was thinking, my first thoughts are, I think there's probably going to be a lot of people listening to this who are like, dude, I wish I could blow a whistle on my kids. Will <laughs> <line up." laughs> you know, like, how do I get more of that? You know, like yeah. where our kids just are just so quick to obey. And I think we could probably all naturally think to ourselves, well, yeah, there's probably going to be some bad things that come out of that parenting style, but It'd be nice in the meantime. It'd be nice in the meantime if my kids could do a a few of those, maybe a little bit more authoritative structure. And then I I always just think through, like, it's hard not to talk about any of these things without talking about the way that the father parents us. And so even as I say that, I'm like, yeah, I'd love to be able to blow a dog whistle and have my kids line up for dinner. Um, I'm also like, well, that's not at all how God parents my heart. And I'm so grateful that he doesn't parent my heart in that way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It just feels like, and we'll get to it here in a minute when we talk about authoritative, but it feels like God has such a great marriage of high demand, high warmth, high responsiveness, right? Like we see nowhere where he sets demands low. If anyone wants to come after me, must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Be perfect. Therefore, as as your heavenly father is perfect. Those are some really high demands. But then he partners that with deep responsiveness, being very attuned to what we're going through, to be very involved in what we're experiencing. And his motivation seems to be his love for us and his desire to, Romans 8, 29, conform us to the image of his son more and more every day. And so I, I think that's probably where authoritarianism seems to have... If you ask, like, what's your end goal? Right? It's like, it, Your end goal is obeisance. Your end goal is to have kids who listen to everything that you say. Well, the problem with that is you're not raising perpetual perennial kids. You're raising adults. Hmm. So this doesn't really institute in them the ability to navigate the world, except in so far as you tell them exactly what they can and cannot do. Yeah, And so you're, you're not really giving them, you're more giving the man the fish than you are teaching them to fish, proverbially yeah. speaking.
0: You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's I remember just, uh, another thought that came to my, my head here is I remember one time I was sitting with a mentor at lunch and he said something really hard to me. I don't even remember what it was. I don't even remember what the context was or what the, you know, what the topic was, but he said hard words to me, like probably get your haircut, probably get a haircut, something like that. Your hair looks great now, by the way. I I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. I don't remember what he said, but it was challenging. And I was really, really wrestling because I'm like, I didn't grow up with a dad and I didn't grow up with a man speaking like hard words to me in love. And so, this was the first time in my life. I'm in my early 20s and I'm sitting at a table with a guy who I knew loved me. He had like poured mm, his life yeah. into me. And yet he's saying hard things. And I like everything in me wanted to run because any other man who had said hard things to me in the past was like a coach, like, you're an idiot. You know, dude, why'd you do that? But I was like, well, he doesn't really love me. But this was like the first time I felt that love and truth, the hard, he was calling me to something really hard and he loved me deeply. And it like, I think I started like crying at the table because with that, just in confusion, like I I don't even know what to feel right now, but that's like what you just were describing about God is like, he never lowers the standard. It wasn't like, oh, okay. That was probably too rough. Like don't sell all your things and come follow me or, you know, don't let the dead bury the dead, you know, like when he's up, but for when all these people are asking but first, but first, but first, and he didn't lower the standard. He still calls them to something so high. And yet he just seemed to have a way he seems to have a way of just at the same exact time, making you feel so deeply loved. That was a little bit of a tangent, but it's I think so many
1: people, mind. so many of people, like even people listening, you can think of a boss. You've had a coach you've had where you find yourself wanting to be better because of your affection and your love for them and ones that you wanted to be better because you didn't want to get yelled at, but then you made fun of them behind their back. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I, I had two different coaches in high school basketball and one of them was coach Hicks and coach Hicks was like that, man. He just like, I really felt like when he was yelling at me, it just felt like a warm hug for whatever reason, because Mm. I just knew how much he cared about me as an individual. He showed me off the court that he was involved in my life. I knew he was a Bible-believing man. I knew that he, when he would yell at me across the court, I knew it's because he saw the person that I wanted to become, and I wasn't doing it. Yeah, It was kind of his encouragement was always, give up what you want now for what you want most. Like, stop doing the easy thing. He told me this one time, he said, don't quit because it's hard. Like that's the dumbest reason to quit something. And then I had other coaches where it was screaming and yelling and you showed up late to practice. You tried to get away with showing up late to practice because you didn't want to get in trouble, but it was just all law and order. It was all law and expectations and failure and repercussions. And it just, it was different. And the difference that I found is people made fun of him in the locker room. No one bad mouth takes in the locker room because in the locker room, everyone had, everyone had his back and they went like, no he cares about me. And yeah, you deserve to get yelled at. It was like people would, would play for him. And it was, mm. that was kind of a cool thing to see. And that that just sucks, man. That, that you had to experience that when you were in their twenties, as someone that loved you yeah. and, and like told you a hard truth, you know, like I, I grew up with a, a dad who did that all the time. Mm. And so that's really, it's hard to hear. That's mm. rough.
0: But I think, it, you know, going back to your example, I think that's the coach analogy that you just played out for us is like, that's really practical for us because what we imagine our kids when they're in their twenties and thirties, like, yeah, my, my dad yelled at me all the time. And I, I was a very obedient kid, but man, I don't even know if my dad liked me. Yeah. Yeah. And they'll probably say, you know, I know my dad loved me, you know, he's hard on me. He loved me, but I don't know if my dad liked me. Yeah. And there probably will be those times where it's like, we're talking about it. We're making fun of our dad behind our back. Yeah. Versus what you described in coach Hicks. Was that yeah. It? Yeah.
1: And, and And then you're going to seek people liking, if that bucket is empty in your heart, you might have a full love bucket, but an empty like bucket. You're gonna seek people that like you, and mm-hmm. you're not really gonna care what they're like or what they think about mm-hmm. life or what their standards are. You just want to be liked because mm-hmm. you didn't receive that, and it's, it's such a gift. Like I think about with my daughter Harper, I was laying in bed with her next to her the other day, and she was like falling asleep, and I was like tucking her hair behind her ears and just like kind of praying over her and thinking like I, I think the best gift I can give her is to set a standard for appropriate affection, love, care, tenderness, gentleness, and responsibility all wrapped into one that she doesn't even look over her shoulder unless a guy is of massively high or he's better than I am. And someday she'll meet a guy that's better than me. Mm -hmm. And I just hope that she doesn't settle for a guy less than me. You know what I mean? Like that's Mm kind of my hope. Mm -hmm. And that's makes me want to be better too. If I'm going to be the standard by which she judges guys, again, she has to twist something because with me, it's not romantic at all. But so much of that is about how much do you believe that you're, that you're worthy of appropriate love and affection? How much are you worthy of being pursued? How much are you delighted in? Those are all things that are important.
0: So yeah. authoritative, what was it? Authoritative.
1: Yeah. Authoritative. So authoritative is, it just feels like that's any psychology journal that I've been reading, which I have a lot, which is weird, but it is my life. This is kind of where you want to be. It seems like this is that perfect balance. High responsiveness with high demand. So high warmth and high responsiveness at the same time. So reciprocal. Wait, hold on. So
0: you're you're saying that's where you want to be as a parent? Authoritarian is different than authoritative. Okay. So what we were just talking about was authoritarian.
1: Now we're changing subjects.
0: Okay. (laughs) This was a roll. Could you
1: imagine? (laughs) (laughs) Cut it. Cut the podcast. (laughs) Okay. permissive is the indulgent few rules accepting lenient non low expectations authoritarian is because as i said so high expectations no warmth autocratic structure environment punishment emotionally distant that kind of junk i think the difference is both these derive from the idea of authorship so the author the authorship idea is the ability to change and transform the story right mm. that's what an author does So, right. I remember after the, I think I talked about this in one of the podcasts, but after the seventh Harry Potter book came out, J.K. Rowling had a press conference and declared that Dumbledore was gay. And everyone was like, what? (laughs) Right. Like you read all the books and you didn't think that he was gay. Like he didn't have a boyfriend or he didn't say that he was. And but J.K. Rowling, she just said he's gay. And guess what? In that moment, Dumbledore has been gay for seven books, (laughs) right? Like, because she had the power of authorship. She was authoritative. She was the author. She had authority. I appreciate
0: that example, by the way. Yeah. yeah. Out of all the examples you could have used, that one was it's perfect. <laughs> okay. Personally, I can laugh. Okay. No, I'm so, tracking with you. She's the author. She can do whatever she, want. She's whatever she the wants. She's writing a story. Yeah.
1: So the idea is, is the idea of power. And so the difference between authoritarian is you derive your power from your position. Okay. So, author, the, the power part is the same, but authoritarian is I am in charge because. I'm in charge because I'm older and I'm smarter, right? It's like Matilda. I'm smart, you're dumb. I'm big, you're small. I'm strong, Mm -hmm. you're weak. Authoritative is I'm going to give you the power that you deserve. But even if you didn't, if you weren't just a parent, you've earned the ability to write the story. Like It's a permissive authorship of someone's life. And I think that's the aim that we want with our kids is that they go, yeah, for sure, I need to listen to you. But I also want to listen to you. I'm good with you leading me. I trust that you're leading me to a good place. I think that's kind of where we want to be it's authoritative. So authoritative, some of it's benchmarks, high demand for sure, but also high responsiveness. Mm. So I'm going to expect a lot out of you, kid, but I'm going to be here with you through it all. And I'm going to empathize with you when you mess up. And we're going to have quick forgiveness. We're going to keep all of our accounts current in our relationship and we're going to move mm. forward. Let's talk about it is one of the key phrases of the authoritative parent. Clear standards, assertive. And flexible, democratic. Let's talk about this. Let's have a conversation. I might know where I want to go with this, but you're gonna really feel you're not just gonna feel like you have a voice, you're gonna actually have a voice in this. But you know that if I make a call, that you're gonna surrender it to me because I am in charge. And it's kind of that it just feels like a really good representation, like you said, of like the father's heart for us, father's heart for Israel in the old testament, right? Abraham comes before God and says, I want you to spare Sodom and Gomorrah. And God says, Okay if there are X amount of righteous people and it gets all the way down like 50, I think, and God says, okay, let's have a conversation. And then he says, there's not 50 righteous people. So he ends up destroying Sodom and Gomorrah. But you see that kind of give and take, that reciprocity between the two parties where Abraham's never confused on who God is, but yet he still feels like he has permission and he's going to be heard when he approaches God in humility, yeah. right? And I hope that my
0: kids feel that way. And going back to how God is there. I mean, there's no other God in any major world religion like that. Yeah. Where in that example that you just use, like where Moses would feel just because you can sense it in him, this deep reverence. You are a holy God. You can do whatever you want to do. We're not just like Jesus is my homeboy. Like that God, you are God. And yet somehow I can talk to you yeah. and you, you'll hear me. Like, what other God of, what other religion is like that? You know, it's incredible.
1: It's even like when God first reveals his character to Moses in Exodus 33, I think it is, Moses asks him to see his glory, right? Mm. And God says, I'm going to pass by this cave and you look at where I used to be. It actually says back in the English Bible, but what it means in Hebrew is you look at the place where I used to dwell. Mm. So he says, I'm going to move from this side of the cave to that side of the cave. When I say go, you look at the place where I used to be. And you're going to be so overwhelmed by the absence of where my presence used to be that Mm. you're just going to have a new understanding of who I am. And as he passes by, he declares of himself, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and loving and faithful to all the generations, but who does not avoid bringing justice in full to the sixth and seventh generation. So it's like, it's that weird compliment. Dude, it reminds me of Chronicles of Narnia, where Lucy Pevensey gets in a wrestling match with Aslan. Mm. And they're like on this meadow and they're just tumbling in the flowers and everything. And, and then they finish and Aslan goes on his way. And I think Peter asks Lucy, what was it like to wrestle with Aslan? And she said, I can't tell if I was wrestling with a kitten or with thunder. Wow, You know what I mean? And and I just, it feels like that's probably the place where I rarely make my home because I'm not, I don't do a very great job at it, but that's where I want to have my home. I want it to where my kids can go, Dad is not to be trifled with, but he is one that I can wrestle with, you know, like I'm not going to disobey him. He neither deserves that, nor will that go well for me. And I know that three seconds after getting punished by him, I could run up to him and tackle him and he's going to play with me and we're going to wrestle and we're going to be able to hang out. Like, I feel like that's such a big mark for me of when my parenting has gone too far authoritarian is if I finish discipline and they move away from me. Hmm. And I feel it's gone too permissive when I'm standing, staring at them and they're just disobeying me, just going, you haven't shown yourself faithful to the discipline that you promised. And you know, what's funny, man, is I think there's such this idea in our culture that we want our kids to experience freedom and to make their own choices and stuff. But but what I think what's ironic is I think sometimes kids feel deep freedom when their boundaries are well set. They know what is and what's not permissible. Like, like you go to concerts, when's the last concert you went to?
0: Concert. Does a dude perfect count? That probably doesn't count as a concert, not music, but we're all in a stadium listening to a lot of music. Jason Mraz. Oh, man. He lives here. Back he lives in, the here in, in bonville he's, he's your, your where neighbor. I live. Oh, really? Yeah. Great concert. Wonderful musician. Good. Good. That's great. That's not the last uh, one. Toby Mack, just to bring it back full circle of We Are a Christian Podcast. <laughs> yeah.
1: But like, I don't like going to concerts. They don't have assigned seating. Maybe that's an old man, the old man in me, but there's no rules, right? So if I'm bound by my Christian ethic and you cut in front of me or you spill a beer on me because you're mad that I'm in your spot, you know, like, so I like the structure. I can show up to the venue 10 minutes ahead of time. I know exactly where I'm going to sit. If someone's sitting in my seat, I can go, excuse me, here's my ticket. Thank you so much for scooting over, right? Like, I don't want to be nudging because I'm going to keep moving to the back. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to, you know. And I think sometimes it can feel that way, though, because you get to the venue and you go, your brain's not at ease. Yes. Where can I gain more advantage? What can I get away with? Is there a better spot over there? Can I get in that line over there? If I, if I go get a concession, will someone hold my spot for me? It's like your brain can't actually rest. That but when I know, good. when I'm bound by these different rules, and I know that there are ushers and that they're going to hold people to what they're responsible for, and that I'm actually much more comfortable. I can sit, mm-hmm. I can go get a drink, I can come back, I can go to and from, I can show up 10 minutes ahead of time. I don't need to get there four hours ahead and plant like in my tent and worry about who's cutting in line in front of me. I don't Mm -hmm. have to worry about it. Mm -hmm. I think kids are the same way. Like they just, I think they thrive when they go, I know where my boundaries are. I know what's going to happen if I cross those boundaries and then I can make decisions based on that,
0: you know? And I don't know. You have a definition for obedience or disobedience in your home that I've stolen. But I'd love to hear you say, because it's so good. And I think our listeners will take it and run with it. What do
1: I consider obedience? Yeah,
0: so your kids can just straight up name. What is obedience?
1: Obedience is the right way, right away with no complaining. Mm -hmm. So they know that they're inside of, if I issue a command, then proper obedience is to do that thing right away, to do it the right way and to do it without complaining. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that's funny is my dad talked about this the other the other day where my son Leo was climbing on the counter and I looked at him from across the room and he walked over to me and he put his hand out and I thump I just gave him a little thump on his hand we that's what we do we we mm-hmm. use like those kind of like corporal punishment things depending on like what's happened and, and my dad was like you can't do that because he doesn't understand what he did wrong he has no clue and I said dad so I brought Leo in I said Leo what happened he goes I got on the counter so why did you get on the counter because I wanted to see the cookies well are you supposed to get on the counter no I'm not what happens when you get on the counter I get disciplined. So he was able to articulate everything going on yeah, in yeah. that moment. And he knows, right? If he doesn't do it right away, the right way without complaining, then there's going to be
0: repercussions for those things. So I was thinking, as you were describing, it's just such a beautiful way that the father parent us. It's a, it's a beautiful picture of how we can parent our kids, where it's like, I love the way you said that kind of a gauge of that is how do my kids respond after discipline? Do they run toward me? Do they run away from me? Do they know that they can be disciplined and yet still be fully loved. Like that's a really good kind of barometer of how we're doing in this. And my first thought was, how do I get better at that? Like, how do I become a dad who just grows in this? We've been on, I won't speak for every dad, but I think a lot of dads can really. but I'll speak for myself. I've been on all the wrong sides of the spectrum. I've been in just completely, I've been so exhausted that I just like threw up my hands, like what are my kids are doing. They're disobedient. They know they're getting away with it when they shouldn't be because dad's just tired, and not even engaged. And I've been on the other side, just be obedient for the sake of obedience. I don't even care what your feelings are, how you feel right now. This is non-relational. Just do what I say when I'd say to do it. And so when you describe that picture, which I think all of us as dads were striving for, it's just such a beautiful picture. But getting back to like how do we grow in that area? I I wonder if one of the main ways is that we have that same definition of obedience on ourselves when it comes to the father parenting us. When we read the scriptures. And we see what God is commanding us to do, we would do it right away, the right way, without complaining. And if that would shape the way that we we parent our kids,
1: yeah. And I think part of it is I think we only think of discipline as the moments when our kids mess up, but I think those moments are built on foundations of. And this is something that I had to be checked on not that long ago, where I I get my kids in bed and it's like my day is over, but taking that extra thirty minutes to like. Crawl into each of their beds or to all of us get in one bed and like do prayer time and and be intentional with those things and just show physical affection to them and let them know that they are loved because those are the foundations that i'm actually building Tomorrow's discipline on when Mm. they're going. I know i've experienced dad's love with me. He knows I know how much he cares about me Which is going to allow me to demand more of them and to discipline them even In some cases needing to be more strong and strict Because I've built that foundation. It's like, I didn't know this, but I started lifting weights, you know, not that long ago, like right after Paige died, it felt like I needed to get in shape and like figure Mm -hmm. out (laughs) because you mind plays tricks on you. And Mm -hmm. uh, like, you want to get healthy and you want to get mentally healthy and you want to get physically Mm -hmm. healthy because you're fighting depression basically all the time. That's a big loss, right? So so I just started pumping iron and everything. And then I I started stretching and then tearing like my rotator cuffs because I, I didn't have a foundation. I hadn't strengthened the undergirded muscles that actually lift up the stronger things. And I think we would do well as dads to make sure that the bank accounts of affection that we're going to make withdrawals from and discipline are well stacked so that we can do that. It's not just when our kids mess up. It's sometimes I think our kids messed up too, because it's the only time they get our attention. Jeez. And that sucks, man. And I remember thinking that one time I was talking to one of my friends and I said well, I think what's funny is I think Peyton's starting to realize this is a long time ago. Peyton's starting to realize that dad gives him private individualized focused attention when he's in trouble. But when he is doing the right thing or he's cuddling up next to me, I have every propensity to just do something else or to be on my phone or to like watch a TV show. And so it's like I've conditioned him if you want my attention, go do something inappropriate. Wow! And it's like, what well, sucks?
0: <laughs> Jeez, dude, <laughs> I that think about is that. convicting. Yeah, that is convicting. I posted the other day on the Dad Tired Instagram how I felt like I've done that with my son, who's eleven, because he just—he's a good boy. He's naturally obedient. He's not going to be the first one to get in trouble. And then I just—he doesn't get my attention because my attention yeah. is going to the cliche squeaky wheels of whatever the squeaky wheel is for the family. And then he just, is, he'll go two days and I haven't given him that individualized one-on-one attention. So that's a convicting thought, dude. I would say for all of you guys listening, go back to like, just hit the 30 second rewind button for like, until it gets to three minutes back and just listen to that whole section again, because that is really powerful thought that your discipline is actually starting before the discipline. That's a mind blower. That's a game changer. That was really good. You said there were f- four.
1: There's this, again, the, the movement that's kind, of, that's kind of making headway right now is like this idea of gentle parenting, which is a, it's obviously a misnomer because authoritative parenting should be absolutely gentle, right? Like, mm. I can spank my kid and completely be gentle as a human being, mm. right? I think that's where you can get it confused. And, and I hear people say this all the time. They go, well, if, you're, if you spank your kid when they do something wrong, like if Peyton hits Brady, and then I spank Peyton. Isn't he just going to learn that hitting is okay? It's like, mm. no, that's not the way that things work out, right? If you're undisciplined discipline, if you're disciplining in an undisciplined way, then yes, because yeah. what they're going to see is they're not just going to see what you did. They're going to see the stimulus of it too. They're going to go, Oh, when dad's angry, he hits. Well, that's mm. called child abuse, mm. but underneath calm conditions, motivated by his love for me, dad disciplines me. Then they perceive it totally differently. So yes, almost a lot of us have a situation where we have either haul off, and if you are someone who does corporate punishment, where you've like you get too mad and then you just like smack your kid, and it's like it, it was either too hard, or too rough, or was, or it's, if you ever had it before, you heard the whole story, and then you hear the whole story, and you like uh, I think I made the wrong decision here. That's like the worst feeling in the world. But gentle parenting kind of comes from this idea of getting to the root cause of why the kid is performing that particular bad behavior so it's about kind of partnering with your kid and developing an emotional language between the two of you through a cooperative style that enables you to understand why they did what they did and instead of disciplining the behavior that they performed trying to fix the root cause of why they performed the behavior that they performed and i think at its core it's beautiful and it's I think in its practice, it's kind of confusing. Hmm. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, like, unpack it for us. Because you, when you describe it that way, it's like, well, that sounds I should probably be doing more of that, like get to the heart of the behavior, not just the behavior itself.
1: Yeah, and I think sometimes we fill the baby out with the bathwater in terms of, I think you can be an authoritative parent who also tries to get to the root of why we feel certain ways. Like I, yeah. I feel like I tried to do it with my son. I just did this the other day. And he doesn't, we live in a house with four bedrooms. And I've got five kids and one of the bedrooms is mine. So that means three of my kids share a bedroom. And with that, Peyton, my oldest, has no space that belongs to him whatsoever. So Brady, he builds like an X-Wing TIE fighter or whatever it is from the Star Wars yes. universe. I think those two are opposites, not an X-Wing TIE fighter. but you I know. have no idea. I've never even <laughs>
0: seen Star Wars.
1: It was one of the good guy planes. Okay, He built a good guy plane. And Brady goes in and he's playing with it and he drops it and he breaks it. And so Peyton hauls off and just smacks him, right? Mm -hmm. And so I go upstairs and I discipline Peyton. What happened? He tells me what happened. Peyton, this is who we are as men. Here's who we are as Tilkins and here's who we are as Jesus followers. And this is not how we're going to act, right? Mm -hmm. This is not behavior that's conducive to who we want to be. So I discipline him. He gets a spanking. And afterwards I sit there and I go like, it's rough having a brother, huh? It's hard. Mm -hmm. And so I, I start to empathize with even his sinful nature and I go bro if I had a quarter for every time I wanted to hit my brother growing up dude if I had a quarter for how often I want to hit people now like I'm 33 I still want to hit people mm-hmm. right like someone cuts me off in traffic or your neighbor's being a jerk like you want to hit people I'm not sitting here going oh, dude that's such a foreign concept the idea that you want to hit someone <laughs> totally. but I'm saying I get that like I understand where that's coming from I think maybe some in an area where gentle parenting can can get it wrong is it neglects the fact that oftentimes kids rebel for the sake of rebellion, Mm. that kids defy for the sake of defiance, that sometimes kids are just testing your boundaries or your willingness to do what you say you're going to do, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like when there's a really hot stove, you tell the kid not to touch it. They're touching it for only one reason, to defy what you're saying. They know it's going to hurt them. It's not because touching it's really fun. right? It's because are you going to do what you said you're going to do? And, and I think sometimes the weakness, is. And I was just reading some of this stuff online, it says, someone wrote in the, the psychology journal, across the parenting boards and group texts, one can detect a certain restlessness, a fatigue is setting in for the gentle parenters, about the deference to a child's every mood, the strict maintenance of emotional effect, the notion that trying to keep to a schedule could be authoritarian itself. Sometimes the people are saying a tantrum isn't worthy of being placed upon a pedestal. Sometimes they just have a tantrum. Their voice is raised past a gentle threshold. Sometimes you just got to put your freaking shoes on, it says, you know? And I think sometimes to understand, I think if we look at the the character of God, I think he can go, hey, Romans 3.10, I know you're not righteous. I know you struggle with this. Uh, Romans seven. I know you have stuff that you want to do that you don't do. And I know you have stuff that you want to do that you refrain from doing. And I know that you feel trapped in this body and this mortal coil of death, but there's still consequences for your behavior. Mm. I think probably a marriage of those two things is a really great thing that we, we want to be empathizing with our kids stimulus, not just their actions yeah. because we're not just about behavior modification. We're about heart modification, but I think you don't need to let any side of that tension go. And I think sometimes when people have been overly parented or abused, They push back on it because they haven't experienced it in a healthy way. And sometimes people who have only ever had their emotions felt, but never felt any sense of discipline, might more tend towards fixing that by being a little bit too much one direction or the other. So I don't know if that makes any Mm -hmm. sense, but it feels like a marriage, those two things, is a great place to be.
0: Yeah. I'm curious from like the stuff you're reading from a secular perspective, do they hide? Is it like, is there one in their? Is there a consensus is like we should all be parenting like this or do they try to keep it pretty neutral like, well, here's the styles and pick which one?
1: What's interesting is gentle parenting is the king in a lot of circles where the idea of punishment on a kid is now a foreign thing. It's become kind of like a taboo subject to Mm -hmm. like discipline your kids. And so that one seems to go, it's not trying to let them get away with it. It's not permissive. It's not neglectful. And it's trying to get to the root of it. Authoritative has been, has long been the rule of law when it comes to proper parenting. Mm. And I was just reading this article the other day, this woman named Esther. She's like 65. But imagine being in this family. She has three kids. One of them is the CEO of 23andMe. One of them is a doctor. And one of them is the CEO of eBay.
0: Jeez, what was her and parenting she, style?
1: <laughs> she wrote about it. She said, "And this is something that I've been trying to do. This isn't a parenting style as much as it is a philosophy of parenting, which is it's a it's a kind of a counter response to what we call like the helicopter parent. But I call them like when I was doing high school ministry, I call them like the snow plow or the lawnmower parent, hmm. where you're not just hovering over your kid, you're clearing out their obstacles for them. Yeah, yeah. The problem with that is like." If you imagine a kid having to walk through like four feet deep of snow, it's a struggle and it's a trial and it's, go- but it, it's also going to create perseverance. It's going to create character. It's going to create stick It's going to create, if a kid has to walk a well worn path to the pyramid of success or you go in and make their coach, give them a starting spot on the team or whatever it is, that kid actually doesn't grow those muscles. Yeah. So when you, when he goes into the real world or she goes into the real world, all of a sudden there'll come a day where mom comes into the college classroom and your professor is going to go, lady, it's not appropriate that you're here. Yeah. Your 20 year old kid needs to speak for themselves. And they haven't learned that. They don't have that reaction anymore. They have the mom reaction rather than the figure it out. And so this woman, Esther, she said, I well, told my kids a, all re, the
0: time. Sorry, just to go back to the, where we started at the beginning, which yeah. is, you know, versus like James one, consider it pure joy. My brothers, when you encounter trials of many, like the. The trials are actually a joy because it's it's right. creating the perseverance and the character. Like anyway, so go ahead. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, that's great. And so she just said some of her favorite words to use with her kids that she uses all the time that I've been trying to do ever since I read this article is like, figure it out, man. You mm-hmm. got this. Figure it mm-hmm. out. It's we went to David Buster's for Peyton's birthday. He got his birthday was a couple of days back and he earned four thousand tickets. And his his sister wanted a fluffy unicorn that was 1,200 tickets, but he wanted three things that equaled 3,400 tickets. So, but he really wanted to get his sister this thing. Mm. And so my mom was there with us. My mom and dad came because they live in town and they wanted to celebrate with him. And my mom was trying to walk him through what to do and what was right. And I said, mom, leave him alone. And I just watched this kid sit in the corner of like the toy section of Dave and Buster's and wrestle through it. And he's like, "I'm gonna get Harper the unicorn." Uh-huh. And he put back the other toys. And so, like, I grabbed the toys from behind him because I had I had my own play card and I'd earned like six thousand tickets because I'm not better than him. And <laughs> so, like, I bought his things for him to like reward him to show like that was the right decision that you made. Yeah. But I want him to work it through. Yeah. I don't. I don't want to be manipulated. I want. To, I didn't want to be patronized. I didn't want to set forth the options and go, "You can either be selfish like a pig, or you can be." gentle and kind like a christ follower i wanted him just to squirt through in his head and he yeah. made the right decision and that's i think awesome. that's important like figure yeah. it out you have yep. got this i'll be here i'm a resource for you but i'm not going to do it for you yep. like when, when when someone hits my kid in the playground i don't ever go and stop that kid if they've got a bat or like a spike <laughs> yes <laughs> right. but if it's a three-year-old hitting my five-year-old i'm like yeah sometimes people hit you in life what are you gonna do yep what do you do when this completely not unjust situation takes place? Yep. And so I tend to just sit back and let him crawl up and let him. how are you going to solve it? And I'm going to discipline my kid on my kid's response to it, not on what happened to him
0: mm. because
1: stimulus is just a stimulus. A response is not because of a stimulus. It's those are two separate things. So
0: what uh, wor- words we use a lot in our house are problem solve. And you'll hear my Ooh, yeah. three-year-old problem. Say the words problem solve. Problem <laughs> That We just say it all the time. You got to problem solve. You got to problem solve. It just goes back to everything you just described. It's like the world is going to throw your problems and the the people who will figure it out are the ones who can problem solve and the ones, it goes back to kind of victim mentality. You know, like the uh, world threw me problems. I guess I'm not going to figure this out or I want to raise problem solvers.
1: Yeah, because then what, what could you throw at them? They're used to solving problems, right? right. They're used to figuring stuff out. So it's like, yep. that's really what it means to raise adults, not kids. That's the funny thing is we're not raising perpetual kids. We're raising adults and adults are going to face problems.
0: So, yeah, bro. This has been really, really good. The authoritative thing and the authoritarian thing. Did I say those two right? See, I'm already like lost. You don't want to be authoritarian. You don't want to be authoritative. Okay. Really? I would have see. I would have already thrown those backwards. We'll call it
1: neglectful yeah. drill sergeant as and gentle parenting. There you go. That's helpful.
0: Easy to remember those things. Bro, we need to do this more, you and I together. It's a fun conversation. I like picking your brain. You, you've always got such great, helpful... You know what else? Sorry. Got, this is my ADD. You keep us on track. My ADD will take us in all different directions. But you yeah. know what analogy I had when you were describing the concert? Uh, was boarding a Southwest plane with oh, all your For kids.
1: sure. Yep.
0: <laughs> Just like, okay, we have no assigned seats and there are 18 of us in our family and I got to figure out where you're all going to sit.
1: Bro, you want to make an argument against human depravity, board a Southwest flight when it's four fifths full yeah. and watch people like yes. you're trying to and they're like leaning over the middle seat and they're like putting their legs up and they're trying to sneeze while you walk by and they're oh cutting gosh. you in line. It's like, dude, but
0: yeah. I thought I literally cool. thought of that the other day where Layla and I went on a retreat. We were flying together and I had written a tweet in my head. I don't even like go on Twitter very much. I don't write <laughs> tweets. I don't even know if that's how you say it. But I had thought in my head, like, if you don't think that the world is natural, like bent towards sin, you've never boarded an airplane. You just see human selfishness to its core on a plane. Nicest people in the world. Everyone's fighting for the front for yeah. their turn first.
1: It's anonymous. You know that you're not going to see him again, right? If it was like your church's plane, everyone go, It's yours. It's yours because you're going to see him again. But those same church people go on an anonymous flight and they're yes. like, Give me the
0: cargo space. Because <laughs> we don't want to do I I legitimately have to pray a lot when I get on an airplane. Just not out of fear or I'm scared, but just like, Lord, help me to love people because I don't love anyone right now. <laughs> <laughs> For sure bro. This was good, man. Thank you for coming on. Thank you guys for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. Appreciate you, Chris. See you guys. Hey guys, hope that episode was helpful for you on your journey of becoming more like Jesus and helping your family do the same. Chris and I hang out over on our closed app It's a community of guys from all over the world who are continuing these kind of conversations about being the spiritual leaders of their home, becoming the best men that we know how to be and the men that God's calling us to be. If you want to be part of that group, you can go to dadtire.com forward slash community or just click the community tab on dadtire.com and come hang out with us over there. Love you guys. We'll see you next week.